Welcome to the fifth episode of the Guernica Accountability Podcast, an accidental revolutionary. This week, I will be speaking to the secret barrister and discussing a broken legal system, our legal system. Something about which he has written a great deal and something about which we at Guernica really care. The secret barrister, an anonymous figure who is described on his Twitter feed as wears a black cape and fight crime, not Batman, is the award-winning author of the book, The Secret Barrister. And his second book, Fake Law, is now available on pre-order. He recently worked with Channel 4 News. In a four-part documentary on the state of the legal system that has shocked many. I would love to know who The Secret Barrister is, but I don't. And when I say I'll be speaking to The Secret Barrister, the truth is, I'm not actually going to be speaking to him or her because I had to respect his or her anonymity. I've only communicated through email. The interview you're about to hear has been conducted entirely in writing, and the voice of the secret barrister is from an actor, Duncan Watkinson. Now, the fact that I've chose a man to give the voice of the secret barrister is no indication that I know whether he is a man, but Duncan had agreed to do the voice, and so that's the voice that you're going to hear. The secret barrister claims to be quite ordinary in his or her private life. I find that hard to believe. What the secret barrister has done is anything but ordinary. But maybe, as you will hear, that is only possible through anonymity. When one exposes the inner workings of a profession like the legal profession, perhaps one can only do that through anonymity. We chose to speak to the secret barrister because the English legal system the solicitors, barristers, prosecutors and judges has long been the envy across the globe. When one thinks of the English legal system and its long-standing traditions, one thinks of the very concepts of fairness, of professionalism, of independence, the very concepts that are found in numerous human rights treaties that guarantee liberty, security, free speech, free association, fair trial and a host of fundamental rights that we often take for granted are to be found within the historical foundations of the English legal system. But our legal system is now under attack and is now confronted with a real challenge to its very existence due to the current government, and for that matter, previous governments, cutting public funding, attacking the application of international law, challenging the ability of judges to rule on government policy, and creating an atmosphere of intolerance and distrust of lawyers. We see on a daily basis attacks in the tabloids What people don't understand is that attacks on the system, attacks on the funding of the system, will have a direct impact on those that are ultimately affected by the criminal justice system. What used to set us apart from other jurisdictions was that it didn't matter how wealthy or influential a person might be. Once charged with a criminal offence, and if electing a trial by jury, that person would be represented by the same lawyer the same barrister, irrespective of whether he or she was a prince or a pauper. That's why I became a barrister, to give people a voice. And I was proud to be a member of such an exclusive club. But that system is no more. It's gone. Hopefully not forever. The secret barrister will talk about that, about how broken the system is and how we can revive it. But for now, an anecdote. When I was in my first year of law at university, when I decided that I wanted to be a barrister, 
I remember reading an episode of a cartoon strip in the Times Law section called Queen's Council. I remember cutting it out and sticking it on my wall. I still have that cartoon strip even today. In this particular episode, it featured a fat cat barrister sitting in a comfy leather armchair, smoking on a fat Cuban cigar while sipping on a glass of single malt. In walked a downtrodden, wafer-thin man, bent over in half, as he approached humbly the barrister. I came for justice, the weak man proclaimed. The barrister smiled, dropped his cigar in, in an ashtray, and rubbed his hands together. Well, my good man, he said, you've come to the right place. Now tell me, how much justice can you afford? And unfortunately, that is the reality of the profession, as we now see it. Ordinarily, at this point, I would introduce my guest and read out a long biography of their achievements, but I can't do that. You might think the secret barrister needs no introduction at all, but even if he or she did, I can't give one, because I don't know who they are. All I can do is welcome them to the Guernica podcast, thank them for joining us, and start with the first question. Secret barrister, welcome. My first question is this. You wear a black cape and fight crime. Is this how you see yourself? Not not really, no, no. But perhaps in flights of egotism or, or in the fantasy film that's scrolling in my head, yes. But um, no, in, in reality, I'm just a jobbing criminal hack. You know, I'm prosecuting and defending and doing my best to play my small part in keeping this broken system on the rails. Well... You appear to have become somewhat of a revolutionary. What caused you to take this extraordinary step? I think revolutionary is uh, is more grandiose than I'd warrant. But um, I'm, I'm just a malcontent who's fortunate enough to have a platform to inflict my complaints on a wider audience. Um, but, you know, however you term it, I never intended to be a, a revolutionary, that's for sure. I'm, I'm by nature probably quite a a conservative, with a small c, um, person. But uh, exposure to the daily reality of the criminal justice system, it is enough to fire up the revolutionary urge in, in anyone with the slightest social conscience. Uh, it, it simply isn't fair. Whatever your political leanings or your views on, on criminal justice, it's not fair how we treat people who are dragged into the system. And I think that you will struggle to find a criminal barrister who thinks that our system is working. Um, whereas most of us probably confine our despair to the, the robing room or, or the kitchen table. Uh, I happen to follow the advice of my other half uh, to share my experiences with the, the wider public. And it, it all rather snowballed from there. So if I'm a, a revolutionary, I'm very much an accidental one. You've spoken a lot about how broken our system is. I mean, do you think the justice system is truly broken? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But, uh, but the, good, the good news is that I, I still don't think that it will take a great deal to fix it or, or at least to point it in the right direction. Um, the very basics will cost an extraordinarily small sum in the grand scheme of government expenditure, but there's, there just isn't the political will at the moment. You know, the, the fact that, for instance, the government is prepared to buy meals for the entire country to insist the hospitality industry, <laughs> but is refusing to pay a penny to 
keep the criminal bar afloat or, or to open the courtrooms that we need in order to tackle the growing case backlog, um, it, it just demonstrates the complete absence of interest in improving things. Um, and so here we, we are we are stuck in a system where it takes years for the police to investigate and years for a trial to come around and then further years when that trial is inevitably um, adjourned. A, a system in, in which none of the moving parts has the resources or the staff it needs to ensure that justice is actually done and which, as a consequence, fails everybody. It fails defendants and, and, and victims and witnesses and... Um, and the public. Okay, but if it's broken, is that not just because of COVID? Are we not seeing something as a result of a pandemic that nobody had predicted? No, no, no. And and this tragically is the fallacy that the government now has the license to spread to cover its own mismanagement of the system. Um, the backlog in the criminal courts was growing long before we had even heard of COVID. Um, in, in March 2020, uh, before jury trials were suspended as a reaction to COVID, the backlog was just shy of 40,000 cases in the Crown Court, and now it's around 42,000. So the, to, to put it into context, this isn't the highest it's ever been. It topped uh, around 50,000 about five years ago. But due to delays in the investigative stage of criminal cases and and fewer cases being charged, this number uh, dropped. Um, and then when the government cut court sitting days drastically, it, it started to climb again. And it, it was climbing throughout 2019 and the beginning of 2020. So courtrooms were sitting locked and empty while we were fixing trials for 12 months into the future. I mean, COVID has surely, sure, it exacerbated the problem, yeah, but the, the claim by the government that all was hunky-dory until this rotten pandemic came along. Is is a it's a lie, just pure and simple. Okay, if it is truly broken, and that this has been going on for years, what could be done to fix it? <laughs> money, yeah, money. It's 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 not the panacea, but you won't be able to address any of the problems without it. Um, we need to be reopening some of the hundreds of courts that the government have shut down and sold off since 2010. Uh, we need to be funding our remaining courts so that they can actually run all the courtrooms in their buildings instead of running at about 25% capacity, as we see all too often. Um, the so-called Nightingale Court scheme has, has been a farce. Uh, 10 buildings identified and only two operating, and those are barely being used at all. Um, in March, when it was clear that we would need hundreds more buildings to keep jury trials running, the government should have been identifying large venues and, and then transforming them into usable spaces. But they, they did nothing. Literally, they did nothing, preferring to float nonsensical ideas about removing the right to jury trial and forcing lawyers to work evenings and weekends for free. You know, Rather than actually engaging intelligently with the problem and and demonstrating any forward planning. I mean, it, it really isn't hard at all. A, a Nightingale hospital was built in nine days. <laughs> Scotland is looking at using cinemas as a means of accommodating social distance juries. You know, if, if there's a political will, then there is a way. But the government knows that as long as it's 
it's posturing in the tabloids every week about the need for longer prison sentences, then that will satisfy enough voters that criminal justice is in safe hands. Seeing as what you've written and spoken about the system, what advice would you give to other members of the bar? I am no person to give advice. I think the only advice I can sincerely offer to anyone is not to listen to me if I appear to be giving you advice. Okay, so you may not want to give advice to members of the bar, but do you think that the current government has the will to make changes, the necessary changes needed to fix it? No, not in the slightest, not at all. It it views the function of criminal justice as ensuring that as many accused people as possible just end up in prison for as long as possible. That's it, at at the lowest possible cost to the public. Nothing that has been said by any minister suggests anything to the contrary. It doesn't care about the quality of, of criminal justice. It doesn't believe that anybody arrested by the police might actually be innocent. It, it doesn't care how many victims or defendants have their lives torn apart. It, it doesn't care if the criminal bar goes under, in fact. Um, you know, I, I suspect it rather hopes that we do, so that inconvenient independent lawyers can be replaced by obedient state-employed public defenders. The general public, which is reinforced through the tabloid media, think that we barristers are overpaid fat cats, which is far from the reality. How do you change the perception? Well, education is the only tool we have, really. Entering spats on social media is probably a fool's errand. But, you know, publishing a blog or, or a Twitter thread, giving the truth whenever there's some bullshit legal aid story in the mirror or the mail, that's still my instinctive reaction. I think the problem, though, is that most people's contact with lawyers does tend to be in private legal matters, such as divorce or commerce, um, in which commercial rates drain their bank accounts. And then they, not unfairly, assume that this applies across the board. Um, And this is an assumption that's, you know, it's reinforced by nonsense that's published in the press. So it often does feel like a losing battle. So you said the system is broken. I think that's something we can agree on. Do you think it's broken enough for there to be real change? Or do you think it needs to descend even further before anything is done to try and rebuild it? Well, as I say, it's it's a matter of political will. At, At present, despite its problems, the government does not see the need to fix the criminal justice system. Whether a further descent would change that, I really don't know. Now, one thing I'm interested in learning is, do you think people listen to you because your identity is a secret? I mean, is that why your voice is so powerful? Do you think that they would listen to you if it were not? Well, this is one of the advantages of anonymity. You know, I I am spectacularly underwhelming in real life and nobody would place any stock in what I say. And and my entirely average practice is testament to my entirely average ability. (laughs) But... Anonymity strips that away you know, and, and forces people to engage with the arguments that I'm making rather than the individual behind the curtain. So, Now, I would love to continue this and and I hope we do have another chance to bring you back and ask you some more questions on another occasion but one thing that we like to ask everyone who we bring in on the Guernica Accountability Podcast is what does accountability mean to you 
and what can we do better? Well, I, I get that there's an obvious irony in an anonymous figure pontificating about accountability, but I do believe that its absence in public life is one of the reasons that the justice system has suffered in the way that it has. I mean, Chris Grayling, to take a popular hobby horse, has never been and never will be held accountable for the devastation that he's wrecked on the justice system during his time in office. He will retire from his safe seat in a few years on an enormous pension. And the lives destroyed by his fecklessness will be just brushed under the carpet. We should have a system whereby select committees conduct longitudinal reviews of policies and where, as say with Grayling's probation service privatisation disaster, there is a provably disastrous policy pushed through by a minister against advice, they are then summoned to a public hearing where they account for their decisions. In the short term, I I would like those in public life to be held accountable for the untruths that they tell the public. I don't know what the mechanism would be, but the ease with which we are all lied to on a daily basis and then the complete lack of sanction, it, it does make me despair. I'd like to thank The Secret Barrister for taking the time to speak to us and, and answer these questions and, and maybe give us all a, a better understanding about how broken our system is and how urgent the need is to repair it. Guernica Accountability Podcast is about accountability in different parts of the world and what it means to each of us. This episode of the podcast was different. We're calling it the accidental revolutionary. That's what I think the secret barrister is. He's quite right to be exposing the very obvious flaws in our system. Somebody needs to do that and the government needs to understand. In his first book, the secret barrister wrote, what for me the notion of justice is about and that is fairness. To me, fairness is rooted intractably within what we mean when we talk about criminal justice. Fairness to the defendant, fairness to the victim, fairness to the witnesses, and fairness to the public. When we cry that an outcome or a procedure is unjust, we tend to mean that it's not fair, he continues. For me, the lesson of history is that the state alone cannot be trusted to find the truth. Truth, justice, and accountability. These are subjects that we at Guernica are deeply passionate about. We hope that when you walk away from this, you will do so with a better understanding of the challenges that all legal systems face, whether from countries in transition, developing, or developed. The legal system in England and Wales is on the verge of collapse, and that is not an overstatement. The rule of law, and the institutions entrusted to uphold human rights and fundamental freedoms are the cornerstones of any democracy. Our government is frequently expressing this concern about other states, about smaller developing states, but our government needs to be reminded how important this is and how critical a time we now find ourselves. This was just a snapshot of what the secret barrister has written and spoken about is a glimpse of how serious a crisis we are facing. 
I would invite you to read his book, The Secret Barrister, Stories of the Law and How It's Broken. And if you enjoy these podcasts, as we hope you do, please do follow the series on our website and feel free to post on social media with any comments you may have. You can find our website at www.gernica37.com where you can find more details about what we do and find all of the podcasts in our series. You can follow us on Twitter at GernicaLaw37 and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. We hope to bring you interesting accounts from all around the world. In the next episode, we'll be bringing you another topical and highly relevant subject. This is the Guernica Accountability Podcast. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.